happening is what makes this so much interesting because we've already seen it before, and now Aaron Rodgers is doing it from the other side. They drafted his heir apparent last night, and they didn't. You don't. You don't trade up in a first round pick to say, "All right, we drafted this guy, and when Rodgers is done on his own, then we will go to this guy." You don't do this. You don't take this kid. I don't. I don't think they think he's finishing that four year contract. Yeah, Bart Winkler, our Packer pal, 105.7 The Fan in Milwaukee, Friday morning after we learned Jordan Love, Packers traded up for that guy. Aaron Rodgers could not be happy, and he didn't get a single receiver to add to the arsenal in Green Bay over the weekend for the entire draft. And so, yeah, Aaron Rodgers isn't going to be in Green Bay for probably more than the next couple of years. He's probably too expensive for the Packers or for anybody, for him to not be there the next two years. But there's also a notion out there that, hey, the Packers are going to be awesome because Aaron Rodgers will have the fire in his belly that it's a wake-up call because he hasn't played that well the last couple of years. You know, the Packers were 4-12, and and he got Mike McCarthy fired, and his way of getting McCarthy fired, I don't think he intentionally played bad, but he, he decided to not do a lot of what Mike McCarthy asked of him. And then last year with Matt LaFleur, things went well. It was a fraudulent 13-3. and The Vikings were the only playoff team in the NFL whose starting quarterback played when, the, when they played the Packers in the regular season. And just they beat a Seattle team that was out of running backs in the playoffs. It just feels like you're reaching if you're a Packers fan thinking this is going to work well, especially if you think, hey, this is going to be Patriots drafting Garoppolo second round 2014 all over again. Forget about Packers, Brett Favre, and Aaron Rodgers all over again from 2005 in the draft. Think well, Brady, oh, he hadn't won a Super Bowl in a decade, so uh, go get Garoppolo, make him feel threatened, and then, ah, Patriots win two out of three Super Bowls, and he gets two out of three Super Bowl MVPs, his GOAT status raised, and you can go, you can go back and thank Belichick for making Tom Brady feel threatened. I'm John Gaskins with Craig Maddock here on Sports Talk with Craig and John. Fox Sports 98.1, AM 1230, and KWSN.com. Craig, do you feel like this was any part of what Matt LaFleur and Brian Gutekunst were doing? And if or if not that's the case, that it, that it will somehow work? I think we know the narrative of Aaron Rodgers. Remember, it was a year ago we were getting uh, the newspaper story that came out about uh, the last year with Mike McCarthy, who uh, Argus leaders uh, Matt Zimmer calls the walking hamburger bun. Uh, during the last couple of years of the McCarthy era, those two didn't get along. Uh, he would not throw to rookies, even though they were wide open. And he just called his own plays all the time because he didn't like the play that was coming in. Which, you know, his demeanor on the sideline... He thinks he's smarter than everybody else. I mean, that was the whole newspaper article. And we hear now, even from Bob McGinn, who's been covering the Packers for almost 40 years, he's doing stuff for the Atlantic. He is is saying that basically he thinks that uh, Matt LaFleur has had enough of uh, Rodgers' act and decided, I'm going to get my own quarterback and we will eventually groom him to be the guy that will take over. 
Right, I'm going to get a, a running backs and tight ends, and this is going to be more of a running offense, and it's going to be look a lot more like the 49ers. Run the ball first, zone block running scheme, play action pass, tight end usage, fullback usage. It's making a comeback, right? And The running game was over 50%. Over 50% of the plays were running plays. I think that's where Lafleur's offense wants to go. Yeah. And this is something that probably Aaron Rodgers, we all guess, he hasn't spoken much about this. And even if he did, what's he going to say that's going to actually be genuine and authentic at this point? That's not how the Packers won a ton of games in the Aaron Rodgers era. Whether they were equipped well enough to go to the Super Bowl or not, they averaged three of the last six NFC Championship games. Maybe it's because... I don't know. Aaron Rodgers is that good because we've all agreed he hasn't, and we can see he hasn't had a top 10 defense. He hasn't had deep and usually re- reliable receiving. And you could make the case that he's made the receivers that they've had better. At the very least, it's fact they haven't had for Aaron Rodgers once drafted a wide receiver in the first round. And so he's that good. That, that You can't explain it any other than that, that Aaron Rodgers is that good, and it's a lot because of the way he throws the ball and makes throwing winning plays, especially when he's able to escape pressure, because it hasn't been necessarily a stellar running game. It wasn't exactly what Mike McCarthy was all about. But now this is where Matt LaFleur and Brian Gutekunst, this is where they want to go. A, will it work? B, will it light a fire under Aaron Rodgers to the point? It's so crazy it might work before Jordan Love takes over. I don't think so. I, I just, I, yes, I can see Aaron Rodgers playing well enough to win again another nine or ten games. They have a tougher schedule than last year. I want to hear from Vikings and Packer fans. Three three six twelve thirty. Three three six twelve thirty. Here on Craig and John, Fox Sports ninety eight one, AM twelve thirty, and KWSN dot com. Here, I'll put it in this term because there is the belief, and I don't think it's crazy talk to say Aaron Rodgers might have a career revival the way Tom Brady did in his mid to late 30s. That's where Aaron Rodgers is at in age. About five years ago, after the Patriots drafted Jimmy G, and by the way, Jimmy G was the 62nd pick. This isn't like drafting up to get number 26. This is 62nd. That's the number reversed. So I don't think Tom Brady felt nearly as threatened as Aaron Rodgers probably does. This is a first-round pick they moved up to get who they think is better suited to whatever offense of the future the Packers are going to have than Aaron Rodgers is. Uh, I don't think, though, it, it, I, I do believe there's something to maybe this makes Aaron Rodgers play a little bit better. But, Craig, what's more likely? Aaron Rodgers plays better, lights things on fire, despite his lack of personnel, despite his coach and general manager drafting against what is suited to his strengths? He just wants to flip the bird to everybody. What's more likely, that or Aaron Rodgers not staying to the sticking with the script and sometimes playing like crap against his own coach's wishes the same way he did for Mike McCarthy in that final year he's not going to get Matt LaFleur fired but maybe things go maybe things go south in a hurry because he's been shown that if a coach kind of crosses him like McCarthy did then uh, he's not going to behave nor play well I'm going to go with the latter. I think he's going to pout. I think he is going to be one of those where he's just going to sit out there and roll his eyes over play that comes in. Tom Brady doesn't do that. Did Tom Brady ever do that? Plays coming in, roll his eyes, look at the ground, throw his hands up. 
He yells at his wide receivers. Yeah, he would do that once in a while. But Aaron Rodgers, who was it we heard? Uh, it was I think it was on the Dan Patrick Show. I forget who they were talking to. Oh, it was Ross Tucker. Ross Tucker says Aaron Rodgers is so thin-skinned. Uh, mm-hmm. That this is going to, yeah. he is going to be more difficult maybe to manage this year than he did a year ago. Right. And you know what, by the way, here's another good question to bring up at 336 1230, 336 1230. For one, Brady had a much better head coach than, than McCarthy. The walking hamburger bun? Yeah. Than the walking. And I think McCarthy's going to do well in Dallas. I don't think, I mean, McCarthy won a Super Bowl. He's, he's not chopped liver. But, I mean, Brady had Belichick. Brady had Gronk, who's one of the best tight ends the game has ever seen. And the Patriots typically had an offensive line that was above average at best, elite at, at, above average at worst, elite at best, and Tom Brady didn't get touched. And he always had great defenses, and Belichick knew what he was doing. So Brady was working in a better system with better coaching. And so there was less reason for Brady to ever hang his head. And, by the way, Brady would be great his linemen and his receivers on the sideline. I mean, those are images that we applaud Tom Brady for. So it's different from Aaron Rodgers because he's more passive-aggressive. We, 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 we berate and bludgeon Aaron Rodgers more because of the eye-rolling and you know emo sort of attitude. I, I think that's the same thing as what Tom Brady does. And he has more reason to do it because his team, again, not once in the first round, has given him a... a a skill player in the first round that's considered top shelf. And also, you know, he things were going stale with McCarthy. He gets a coach that he thinks he likes and that he feels like he could trust. And Matt LaFleur has betrayed Aaron Rodgers' trust by going out and getting Jordan Love and building an offense not suited to Aaron Rodgers' strengths. That's quite clear what they've done. Wouldn't you be pissed off if you're in Rodgers? I don't care how much money you make. I don't care. I don't care how cool you are. You, you, he has got to be seething, and he has every right to be. If he went out and complained publicly about this, I don't know if he will or not. I wouldn't blame him. I think Aaron Rodgers is one of those few athletes on the planet that has earned the right to complain, considering everything I just said and considering all he has accomplished, despite all of what I just said, the history of what they haven't given him. And th- th- I'm going to put this. I'm going to put this a lot like with Michael Jordan. When Michael Jordan was with the Bulls, he would score 50 points a game. Oh, yeah, they won a little bit, but they never went all the way until he got people around him. For Aaron Rodgers, he's every year he's throwing less than 10 interceptions. He's throwing a bunch of passes. He's scoring a bunch of touchdowns, but he's not able to take him the rest of the way because of him. He needs help yeah. surrounding him. And, and he's not getting it. And so Michael Jordan, at the zenith of his success or nearing it at the zenith of his personal success his best years individually were before he started winning titles that was documented in the documentary you just mentioned it doug collins was a coach that did everything for michael jordan it was all about jordan and then phil jackson came in and he took the pressure off of jordan and at first jordan didn't like that you know he said when phil jackson told him there's no i in team michael jordan said yeah well there is one and win and he thought that was the only way the bulls could win and phil jackson said uh-uh here's the triangle offense and we're gonna get more people involved and it had its uh, initial glitches and growing pains was, michael jordan's right bill cartwright isn't the guy who should have the ball in his hands with five seconds on the shot clock but eventually it got the bulls six titles and you're right that's not what the packers are doing but anyway Michael Jordan would have, at the time, the right, if he felt the same way Aaron Rodgers probably does, about getting more 
help. Has Aaron Rodgers earned the right to publicly complain? Or if he does, are we just going to bash him because that's his reputation? He's just a big, big whining emo baby. I don't blame him one bit. He's right. He's earned the right to complain at this point. And if he does, I'm not going to kill him. I'd love to hear what you think. Packers fans, Vikings fans, 336-1230, Aaron Rodgers has earned the right to publicly complain. And I think it's going to go worse than it will get better for him, even though some people think, like Tom Brady with Jimmy Garoppolo in New England, oh, it's going to get better because he's going to be ticked as hell. Bart Winkler, our Packer pal, made a great point, by the way. If that happens, if that does happen, Rodgers is pissed. It re-energizes him, and it makes his focus more laser, and he's winning despite his coach and GM, and he's proving to everybody what he can do without the proper help. Well, still... The uh, head coach and the GM of that Super Bowl team, if they actually do win it this way with Aaron Rodgers one of the next two years, that's still a Super Bowl under this guy's watch. And uh, those guys watch LaFleur and Gudekinst, and it will be early in their tenure. I mean, they're going to get credit for that, too. And they'll probably get credit, right or wrong, for igniting that fire under Aaron Rodgers. So I I think with the way the Packers' schedule are, I think they were fraudulent last year. their road games include New Orleans, uh, Tampa Bay, of course, Minnesota, where they often don't win and only won last year because the Vikings didn't have their top two running backs. It, they got to go to Houston. They got to go to San Francisco again, where they uh, were shut out after a bye week last year. So I think it's going to get worse. Tampa Bay. Yeah. Yeah, I just see it getting worse for the Packers than better, but we'll see. Uh, about 10 minutes away, Stu Whitney will join us. Speaking of that Bulls documentary, a uh, Pistons fan in Sioux Falls <laughs> who uh, thought that the Michael Jordan-controlled narrative was off about the, the Pistons. And I think it's good to have a, just a little equal time from a Pistons in Detroit point of view about, about the series everybody watched and about the team in the Bulls that everybody loves and about a team in the Pistons that pretty much everybody hated. That's about 10 minutes away. Uh, earlier today here on Craig and John, we had on the new head coach. Well, we didn't. We had the managing owner who has hired the new head coach and GM of the Sioux Falls Stampede. That new coach is Marty Murray. Brian Schoenborn joined us. I botched his name like three times. I'm sorry. Uh, but... Craig, when I, when, I, when I heard about Marty Murray coming from Minot to the North American Hockey League, my first reaction was, I'm not claiming to be any hockey aficionado here, but my first reaction was like, wow, he's from, a, he's from an inferior league, and they didn't hire anybody from the USHL, including anybody on that staff that helped Scott Owens hoist the Clark Cup a year ago. I thought it came out of left field, but once I heard you know, Brian Schoenborn explain the hire, it made a lot more sense. What about you? I agree, too. Uh, here's a guy that is doing the same thing that Scotty Owens was doing in the USHL. He was basically bringing talent in and developing them. Certainly, if you look at the difference between one league and the other, it, it would be a league that is a step lower as far as talent-wise. But still, he was a guy that was coaching talent and was getting success in the uh, North American Hockey League. You know, played in the National Hockey League. And no, and then, because coaches and, and GMs find out about each other and what kind of the people they are. Here, typically, is a nice guy, gets the job done, has success, and now he's going to move it up to the next level in the United States Hockey League. So uh, I was the explanation from Mr. Schoenborn 
was really good today. Yeah, and by the way, what a nice guy. He's been with the Stampede. I mean, this was as much about kind of the history of the herd as it was about the hiring of Marty Murray as the new head coach of the Stampede. That's just what that interview became last hour. Brian Schoenborn was one of the original managing partners of this team, and he told us about scouting Sioux Falls as a potential hockey junior hockey hotbed in 96. Told us stories about, uh, Craig, and you were here, so I'll let you speak to it, of in 98 when the team was introduced as coming to Sioux Falls, but also <laughs> of the kinds of uh, things that were needed once hockey fans got to the Sioux Falls Arena. It was for the first year they they had in the programs uh, all the rules of hockey. They had to explain to us in Sioux Falls what at that time they had the red line. Of course, that has gone away since. But you know what? What's the red line? The center line? What's the blue line? What is icing? What's offsides? I mean, they tried to make it as simple as possible for people to understand the game of hockey for those that have never been there. And look where they are now, averaging more than 6,000 fans a game and probably have the best arena in the league mm-hmm. and is touted as one of the... I, I am guessing there was a ton of interest <laughs> in that coaching position for the Sioux Falls Stampede. Yeah, he, he explains a, a local businessman. He went to one of the early Stampede games in their first year in 99. He went with by the third period, was asking how those guys on the ice move so fast with their shoes. (laughs) And back to the point about uh, Marty Murray, just in case you missed Brian Schoenburn last hour. um, This is what went into the hiring of Marty Murray, uh, who one of the assistant coaches for Scott Owens, who interviewed for the job and did not get the job and wants to be on the staff with Marty Murray, said has an unreal history as a hockey player and is widely respected in in minor league and junior hockey circles as one of the best coaches out there. But again, he's been spending the last eight years in Minot. He didn't win a title in the NAHL. He did finish runner-up two years ago and has won the coach of the year from his division, general manager of the year in his division. So feels like an unknown, but here is Brian Schoenburn on Marty Murray, the new coach of the Herd. Uh, I, I think he uh, yeah, he grew up in a small town on a farm. I think his town had like 26 people. So he's very humble, very solid, very down-to-earth, our kind of guy. Uh, works his tail off, cares deeply. We're, we're all about heart. And uh, he just cares deeply, very loyal, very committed, very smart. His own journey in the sport of hockey, um, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't this... Uh, this um, you know prima donna type of player. He just had to work at it and had a lot of success. I believe he's in the in the uh, Manitoba Hall of Fame um, and uh, for for his hockey uh, attributes and accomplishments. And uh, he uh, you know ended up pursuing his dream and accomplishing what what others may not have thought was possible. Um, and actually, I think, made his way, was in the NHL, then went to Europe, and then went back to the NHL. So he actually was in the NHL for two separate stints and, and a significant playing career, and then decided to go home. And he's really, he and his wife, his family is fantastic, by the way. His wife's wonderful. Children are great. They're going to be great residents and contributors in Sioux Falls. 
and uh, they're, they're, but they're from Minot, and just north of Minot, just across the border. And so Minot's home. In- that explains it, Craig. The guy's just been coaching at a lower level because he's been at a place where he uh, where he loves and where his wife is from. A lot of us have had those situations that, uh, for better or for worse, is why I'm here in Sioux Falls because I have a, a husband who lives here and I had been here and. Uh, and it explains why some people do what they do and have been where they've been. So he, so Brian Schoenburn said this was an exhaustive process. You're right, Craig. I'm guessing a lot of people wanted this gig because the Herder recognized as the best franchise in the league overall and uh, have a top facility and just won the Clark Cup. And, uh, and he, they consulted with so many people who knew who this guy was. The NHL rules aren't that different. And so... And it took a lot to draw Marty Murray, unlike other teams, uh, according to Brian Schoenburn, have tried to do to become the head coach of the Stampede. But ultimately, the city of Sioux Falls and the organization were too much for him to uh, to turn down. The last three hires, and I'm not including uh, Marty Murray on this, the last three hires, I think, have been home runs for the Sioux Falls Stampede. They got off to a great start with Bob Motzko when he was the first coach, and they got themselves in the playoff hunt right away and uh, got really popular fast. He was here a couple of years, and he goes to St. Cloud. They bring Tony Gasparini in. Tony was pretty young at the time, but he's seen success. I think he's got a couple of Stanley Cup rings right now. Uh, And then they brought in uh, Mark Kaufman, and and Mark was a different kind of coach. He, He... he he was tough to interview. He was kind of just didn't want to talk to anybody. I mean, and he didn't see success with the San Stampede. And then they brought in Kevin Hartzell, who was was great, won a title. Kerry Eads came in, won a title. Scott Owens came in, won a title. And now Marty Murray. So I think the last three hires have been really good for the Stampede. Amen. Uh, full interview with Brian Schoenborn can be heard on our Marv's Body Shop podcast page at kwsn.com. So a lot from the Stampede today. More information about Marty Murray, kwsn.com. But we also had stuff from the Sky Force down memory lane about 20 years ago and what what Isaiah Thomas did to the Heinemans who have been co-owners of this thing. And Greg Heinemann's son, Mike, is the president. And you'll hear just, uh, you'll hear it and sense it, uh, what Isaiah Thomas did to the Sky Force. And also... From Stu Whitney, who will defend Isaiah Thomas and the Pistons, who are portrayed badly as the bad boys in this Bulls documentary. And in about 20 minutes, an incredible story Fran Tarkenton told on Twin Cities Radio about Ahmad Rashad, one of the great Vikings of all time, who turned out to be uh, one of Michael Jordan's best friends of all time. Here on Craig and John, Fox Sports 98.1, AM 1230, KWSN.com. Get the latest local sports news, scores, schedules, and columns from John Gaskins by going to kwsn.com. Also hear the station live and Craig and John segments on demand at kwsn.com. Sports Talk with Craig and John brought to you by Dustex. Dustex customizes entry mats. Dustex. We play clean.com. Whined and cried for a year and a half uh, about how how bad we were for the game, but more importantly, they they, they 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 were bad people. We weren't bad people. We were just basketball players winning, and that kind really of stuck with me because they didn't know who we were or what we were about as individuals in our family life. 
So all that whining they did, why shake their hand? They were just whiners. They won. They won the series. Give them credit. We got old. They got past us. But okay, move on. Bill Lambeer, unlike his teammate Isaiah Thomas, not apologizing for 29 years ago, 91 Eastern Finals. Finally, the Bulls get past the Pistons and move on to the NBA Finals to start their run of six titles in eight years. Bill Lambeer just calling the Bulls a bunch of whiners and says it was justified why they walked off the court right by the Bulls bench without shaking hands before the final game of that sweep was even over, Craig. Does Bill Lambeer help you better understand and justify what the bad boys did in that moment? Believe it or not, I kind of liked Bill Lambeer when when they were playing and they were winning championships. Just just the kind of guy he was. Just I mean, he was not athletic at all. Yeah. <laughs> you think about it. He was just a goon. Yeah. And you know, and then eventually didn't he win like a couple of WNBA championships yes. as a coach? Yes he did. Uh, I mean he went and and, and and coached in the WNBA and had success there and I mean just the way he played, okay, it was dirty. Mm-hmm. But for some reason back at that time I kinda was fun watching him play as a 10 or 12 year old bulls fan i mean i hated all those guys but i really hated Lambeer because he just had the look he had the act he had it all everybody hated him and he liked it he was just one of those guys where if he was on your team you loved him if he's not you hated him and he was you know he was an authentic upfront jerk he was a jerk and he loved it um and isaiah thomas is a jerk and he hides it with fake smiles and uh you know very laid back sort of ways of talking about things and by the way though bill lambeer as probably the chief goon of those pistons goons he and i'm and again they were a great team they were loaded Stu whitney in a moment detroit native and Pistons fan, I acknowledge as a Bulls fan, they were better than the Bulls, and they got in the Bulls' head, but we all know hammering Michael Jordan near the rack was the way they stopped Jordan from scoring and the Bulls from winning until they finally did. And Lambeer calling the Bulls whiners. Talk about pot, pot calling kettle black. He was the ultimate whiner. He was the ultimate crybaby because he would still bitch and moan at the refs about everything that he, that he was called for or was done to him that was not called for. So I did find that ironic. Uh, but you don't feel the same way about Isaiah Thomas as you do Bill Ambeer, do you? No, Isaiah is a sleazeball, and <laughs> you were absolutely right. He will smile at you and say something nice. Uh, but when you're not looking, he's going to take your wallet in, uh, in, the back, <laughs> in your back pocket. Yeah. And uh, we had Mike Heineman on. Mike Heineman is the son of Greg Heineman, who was one of the three original owners of the Sioux Falls Sky Force. And uh, about 10 minutes, you can check out the podcast, Marv's Body Shop podcast page at kwsn.com. I'm about to play what I thought was the most compelling part of the interview in Isaiah Thomas's link to Sioux Falls and the Sky Force. But, Craig, you can set it up with the story of uh, that. You know, if you've been around Sioux Falls long enough, you know it. Sky Force were, were off and running and had won a title, and then Isaiah Thomas comes into the CBA. Yeah, he bought the CBA, and at the time, it's like, whoa, here, here's a, a well-known, big-time player, has won a couple of rings. He buys the CBA and, you know, the Sky Force, uh, the, the franchise in the city at that time. 
And so he comes to Sioux Falls because Sioux Falls is hosting the uh, All-Star Game, the CBA All-Star Game. And so he is meeting uh, the media. We're at the, the Western Mall. He's coming in. He's giving interviews, wearing a nice suit and smiling and uh, being the Isaiah Thomas that he is. And we were all kind of goo-goo-eyed. I mean, we were in the, 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 the awe factor because of his name and what he had done. But it wasn't that much longer. Things went south. Yeah, uh, and, and it, yeah, it was, they went bankrupt, right? I mean, what? It, Within what two happened? years, um, because he had put he had put uh, some money in a blind trust. Yeah, and then uh, because he he couldn't own the CBA and coach uh, in the NBA at the same time, and so he a couple of years after being the owner of the CBA and trying to give the CBA, trying to sell it to the NBA for double the money that he bought it for, um, he just let it let it go and went into bankruptcy yeah. uh, two years after he owned it. Forced the Sky Force and every other team to sell their team. Uh, the, the Heinemans and the Sky Force, I can't remember if it was the Heineman family or the Sky Force went into bankruptcy, Craig. Do you remember what Mike said about that? Well, it was the whole league. Yeah, the whole, the whole league, league went into bankruptcy. Yeah. And then, you know, thank goodness for Greg Heineman and the folks yeah. with him. Uh, they brought the Sky Force back to life, not in the CBA. There was the IBL, there was the IBA. Uh, before they could finally get things back together and get a good league. But, yeah, they, they, they made sure to maintain basketball in Sioux Falls. And I just yes. asked Mike Heineman, because Greg Heineman uh, told me today he would, not, he would not do this interview. He declined it politely because he called it old news. And, you know, I, I respect that, but it's, it's new news because Isaiah Thomas and his character have been <laughs> brought to light again the last couple of days because of Sunday night's Last Dance documentary. And uh, that's why we're bringing it up town. again. Plus, the town has grown almost to uh, like 50% <laughs> yeah. since, since uh, this happened back in 1990. So Greg Heineman didn't want to bring this up. In fact, the exact words Greg Heineman used to me uh, for not doing this interview today was, um, got it right here. Old news, everyone know he bankrupt the CBA and we took it back. There's nothing new to it. Okay. Well, I asked Mike Heineman just how much this hurt his father, Greg, and their family. Well, I would say it was more before, um, just than the dealings, the, the negotiation piece. I mean, uh, you know, like I said, we wanted to stay involved and didn't see a reason why we shouldn't be able to stay involved. And, um, you know, we basically, my dad was giving him an ultimatum that either we you know, go do our own thing with two teams or, or we had to sell it. Neither of those um, options really appealed to us because we still wanted to be involved and it was it was our thing. And to kind of be given an ultimatum that, you know, you can no longer do this um, sucked. I guess <laughs> just the, the, the easy way to say it. So um, it had an effect on us and, and you know, kind of how we viewed Big-time people coming into Sioux Falls. I mean, I think we pride ourselves in doing things right in Sioux Falls just, you know, as a, as a community. And uh, we don't think we need the, the big-time people coming in here telling us what to do and how to do it. And um, that was happening here in this situation. And, and I guess we didn't like it too much. Mike Heineman, who is Craig, uh, not surprisingly, would not uh, feed into my question of was Isaiah Thomas just incompetent as the leader of the CBA when he came in and took it over, or was he just vindictive and two-faced? <laughs> Mike Heineman was not going to uh, go much further than saying Isaiah Thomas was extremely tough to deal with. Now, 
When we interviewed Stu Whitney earlier again, he I don't know if he idolized, but I'm pretty sure Isaiah Thomas was probably his favorite player because Isaiah Thomas is one of the best 50 players in NBA history and uh, was the leader of the bad boys in two world championships. And you asked Stu, you know, Stu covered this for the Argus when the Sky Force were rolling and halted by this Isaiah Thomas bit. And did, did that did that make Stu all of a sudden feel compromised about one of his favorite athletes of all time? I, I think I've had to separate him as a player and what he did at, after uh, his playing career was over, Craig, because, uh, I mean, it was weird being a, tr- a kid from Detroit and, and loving the Pistons and then just happened to be working in Sioux Falls covering the Sky Force. I remember interviewing Isaiah when he came here to sort of, they had a press conference talking about him taking over the, the CBA, and uh, so it was a weird juxtaposition, but I, if you go back and read some of my columns when things started to go bad, I was very, very outspoken that he was kind of in over his head from a managerial level. I did point out on Twitter today that he had a vision, which you would all also see if you went back and see some of the coverage back then, of a single affiliate system for the CBA and NBA, where each NBA team would have one, essentially a farm team, where they could draw, uh, they could develop talent, and they could rehab players with injuries, similar to what baseball does with AAA. And that's what you see now. So he was ahead of his time in that regard. But in terms of just running the day-to-day operations, he was terrible at it. And he was terrible at, you know, when he ran the Knicks, he, he, uh, he just really struggled to kind of find his way at that managerial level and, and probably at the coaching level as well. But you could say the same thing with Jordan. I mean, Jordan is a yeah. front office guy, owner slash team builder. That's really has really struggled in that regard. Hey, uh, real quick, like ten seconds. Why do you agree it was Bush League or that they they should have shake, shake, shaked hands with the Bulls? Why they should have? Yeah, I just think it's. First of all, look at, look at all the misery that happened because they didn't do it. I mean. Maybe not even making the dream team for Friday, and, and we're still talking about it all these years later. It just doesn't look good. I mean, yeah. from a, a very basic level, and I've been in situations like that where I'm about as competitive as they come, and I, I found that just looking the guy in the eye, just for a brief moment, taking his hand and then moving on, I think you find some self self satisfaction from that. Cool. Uh, and I think they regret not not doing it. Yeah, but again, Craig, that was Stu Whitney. Bill Ambeer said he doesn't regret it. But Isaiah, typical Isaiah, back to the two-facedness, you know, he tried to justify it on the documentary by saying, hey, the Celtics didn't shake our hands when we were beating each other up, and we finally took the torch from them in the Eastern Conference. And Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, they stiffed us, so we were just doing the same thing. And then, you know, everybody gives Isaiah a lot of heat on this all over the Twitterverse and Sports Talk Radio yesterday. And Isaiah, with his tentacles up, apologized. But instead of apologizing to the Bulls for acting like a bunch of babies and and walking away, 82% of people on our at KWSN Sports Twitter poll agreed this was Bush League. Uh, He apologized to other great basketball players in Detroit history, Steve Smith and... Jalen Rose, so he kind of apologized for not doing that, but not to the Bulls. Very Isaiah Thomas. Well, he may uh, have stiffed uh, the Bulls, but uh, he stiffed every owner in the CBA (laughs) a few years later because it it was October of 99. I I find some of my notes. 
he agreed to, to buy the CBA for $10 million. Well, he, he paid him $5 million. And then he said that uh, he would make up uh, four additional payments to the former owners. Well, two weeks later, he uh, he cuts the salaries of everybody in the CBA. Wow. The average salary was $1,500 per week, and he reduced it to uh, $1,100. He says, and, you got, and what he said was, hey, I'm doing this because I want to reduce the number of veterans in the CBA so that there's more younger players available to NBA teams. Now, that vision is very similar to what the G League is today. Mm-hmm. So maybe he had a little bit of, bit of a vision of what he wanted the league to be, but getting from point A to point B, uh, it was like the Grand Canyon. He got to the ledge and then just let the CBA fall yeah. off the cliff and went into bankruptcy yeah. uh, two years later. It's what he did. Yes, it's what he did to the people, the humans involved that he was doing business with. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. that included the Heidemans and the Sioux Falls Skyfers, who were doing just fine without Isaiah Thomas. Last one from Stu Whitney, what he thought was... Uh, uh, you know, of course, Michael Jordan controls the content of this whole documentary, and so this is going to be a biased documentary. And here's what Stu had to say: what bothered him the most about how those bad boy Pistons were betra- portrayed beyond the handshake incident. Well, I knew it was going to be bad because this is essentially a Michael Jordan-sanctioned documentary. I mean, he had to sign off on it. Uh, it's based around the camera crew that uh, he gave access to, and, and then it's. You know, one of the best parts about it is this exclusive interview with with Michael Jordan. Uh, so it's going to be from a Jordan perspective. Jordan always hated the bad boys, always hated Isaiah Thomas. I relish the bad boys' reputation as a team that's going to beat you down and is going to uh, just wear you down with physical toughness, hard fouls, etc. But I think some people that maybe were not around back then or are not maybe as basketball literate as the two of you and myself think that that's how the Pistons won games, that they never made a basket on the offensive end. In fact, if you look at that, go back and watch that episode. I I don't recall seeing an actual offensive score from the Detroit Pistons on all the highlights they showed. And I, I just think that that is really downgrading. You don't win consecutive NBA championships and probably should have been three consecutive because they got screwed by the Lakers uh, or by the refs in, in game seven and 88, a phantom foul on Jabbar, on Jabbar's basket. Mm-hmm. Um, you're talking four Hall of Famers, a Hall of Fame backcourt. Joe Dumars is not even mentioned. He's a Hall of Famer. Isaiah, top five point guard of all time. Uh, Rodman was a Hall of Famer. Adrian Dantley was a Hall of Famer. Uh, that's that's the main thing that bothered me is that the the basketball skill level and the the place in history of this team was completely overshadowed by the bullying nature and what what I agree was a mistake not to shake hands at the end of uh, that series with the Bulls. All right, so that was Stu Whitney. You can hear the full podcast. Uh, Stu and I kind of go back and forth on if that style of basketball was good or bad for the game back then. Um, but, you know, some some legitimate points there. He does admit the handshake thing was uh, was Bush League. And the Mod Rashad became one of Michael Jordan's best friends. He was this guy who had played football, gone into a football broadcasting career, and then all of a sudden became one of basketball's top guys with a microphone 
and um, an amazing story about how he became the football player he was with the Minnesota Vikings from the all-time Viking Fran Tarkenton to round out Craig and John. Fox Sports 98.1, AM 1230, KWSN.com. Follow the show. Respond to the show. Vote in our polls and get the latest sports news on Twitter. Go to twitter.com slash KWSN sports. Craig and John brought to you by Plastic Surgery Associates. Over 36 years of serving the region. For face, body, and skin, go to Plastic Surgery Associates of SD.com. Five seconds to go. A 20-yard pass. Sideline. 15-yard pass. Stops the clock with one second to go. Field goal would win it. Up in the air. Going deep. They're hoping. Tip. Clock. Take that. You're kidding. The Vikings. and moments in Minnesota Vikings history, Craig. We're coming up on 30, make that 40 years, the miracle Ouch. at the Met. Ouch. Tommy Kramer to Ahmad Rashad. I mean, this is a guy who's most famous for people my age, 40 and under, probably 50 and under, for being the sideline reporter during the Bulls' glory days of the 90s. Mm-hmm. And uh, most don't know or don't remember he was a receiver for the Vikings during some of their best years, their Super Bowl years and beyond. And, of course, the husband of Felicia Rashad, right. who is uh, Claire Bill Cosby's wife on television. So yeah. uh, that, that was quite the deal. But, yeah, it, it was strange seeing him more as a basketball guy than uh, working the NFL after he got yep. done. And, of course, uh, well, you're going to hear about it from Fran Tarkenton. So I'm just going to let Fran Tarkenton take it from here. Of course, the Hall of Famer. All-time GOAT quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings, 80 years old, and he was on Paul Allen's show at KFAN in the Twin Cities the other day. And uh, this is all you need to know about Ahmad Rashad's football career. Uh, He had come out of the University of Oregon, one of the best receivers in the country, when Dan Fouts was the quarterback there. And here's Fran Tarkenton setting up Ahmad Rashad's time in Minnesota. He was a number one draft pick of St. Louis. He played one year. He changed his name from, I think, Bobby Moore to Ahmad Rashad. Yep. The Bidwell family thought he was a radical Muslim, and they traded him to the uh, off to Buffalo. He's played there a couple of years, Whoa. and with O.J. Simpson, and then he went on the expansion list. Can you imagine? They put him on the expansion list. Seattle picked him up on the expansion list, and we're one week from starting the season. We didn't have any depth at wide receiver. We had a little rookie named uh, Sammy White who became really good. Yeah, Bud Grant said to me. The week before the season started, he says, how would you like to have Ahmad Rashad? I said, well, what are you going to have to get for it? He said, he's on waivers. We can get him for for nothing. And uh, I don't have to give up anything. I said, get him. They brought him in. And on Tuesday, before we would start the season on Sunday, and Ahmad got up there, and I ran him against all of our great defensive backs. We had a great defensive backfield. He beat everybody. Whoa. He ran every pattern. Post patterns, corner patterns. He did everything. I, I was just stunned by his performance. The next day, we I come to the to practice on a Tuesday for the for the to prepare for our opening of, of, of that season on Sunday, and Ahmad is sitting on the on the training table with Fred Zambaletti, and he was in his street clothes. And I said, I knew what had happened. 
I said, Alma, what did they say? He said, they told me not to, not to get dressed. I said, you sit right here and don't you leave. I walked down underneath the stadium steps, the stadium, and I went down to where Bud was. I said, Bud, what's going on with Alma? Why is, why, why? He said, well, Mike Lynn, the general manager, he's worried about paying him a contract because he had a little deep problem at Seattle. And didn't you see he was a little slow getting off the ball? No, I didn't see that, but I, I saw him beat every defensive back that we had out there, and he was magnificent. I never, and, and I said, he said, well, Mike Lynn won't, you know, he didn't want to sign him and give him a contract because of his day. I said, let's get Mike Lynn on the phone. And this is a true story. Ahmad tells it, too. He gets on the phone, and I said to Mike Lynn, I said, Mike Lynn, if you don't sign Ahmad Rashad, I don't play Sunday. That's how Ahmad Rashad got the play. Uh, Francis, I've done this radio show nearly 21 years. I got to give you a round of applause for quite honestly, one of the greatest football stories I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) So there it was on KFA and radio. That was, uh, yesterday morning, Craig, Monday morning, learning more about a Madrashad who, uh, went on to become a four time pro bowler, a second team, all pro in 1979, one of the 50 greatest Vikings, and he's in the Vikings ring of honor. In fact, it was just within the last couple of years he was he got in there. Yeah, him and Sammy White were, were a good duo for the for the Vikes back that time. It was I had never heard that story before. Uh, <laughs> the, 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 I, I knew him as certainly as Bobby Moore, and then um, Ahmad Rashad, and yeah, great guy, great guy. And that was toward the end of Fran Tarkenton's run in Minnesota. Ahmad Rashad was on the last couple of Vikings Super Bowl teams. And then, uh, then of course, Tarkenton gets hurt and it goes into Tommy Kramer. And Tommy Kramer's the one that threw Ahmad Rashad that Hail Mary pass. One of the greatest plays in Vikings history at the end of the 1980 season. Got him into the playoffs. And uh, Madrashad all of a sudden pops back up on the American pop culture radar because he's in this Michael Jordan Last Dance Bulls documentary. And he is, is apparently one of Michael Jordan's best friends. And uh, he's one of Tafran Tarkenton's best friends. So... By the way, Ahmad Rashad then appeared on K-Fan Today with Paul Allen, and we'll have some of the audio of that. I'm sure he talked a lot about Michael Jordan. We'll do that tomorrow on Craig and John. Fully loaded show today. We went back down memory lane with Isaiah Thomas with the Sky Force with both Stu Whitney and Mike Heineman. And uh, we heard from the managing owner of the Sioux Falls Stampede, Brian Schoenburn, and why he hired Marty Murray to be the next coach and GM. Podcasts are at kwsn.com. The Odd Couple with Chris Broussard and Rob Parker are next. We're back from 3 to 6 tomorrow on KWSN, Craig and John, Fox Sports 98.1, AM 1230 and KWSN.com. For Craig, I'm John. Say goodnight, Craig. Good night, Craig.